Sorry. What is it, Beatrice? A clue has surfaced as to the disappearance of our TV crew in Iceland. What TV crew? We sent them there two months ago to investigate the legend of a monster said to exist beneath an abandoned U.S. missile silo near an isolated northern village. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I'm Heath Lambert. My guest this episode, first time in this uh, since we hit 100, yeah? Yeah. Well, it's been, a, well, I guess it's only been eight or nine episodes. That's not too crazy. We've probably had longer breaks than that. Maybe? I don't know. I have to look. Chris Lambert feels is... Like a long time. Feels like a long time. I'm, I'm glad to be back. <laughs> yes, Chris Lambert is here. And we're talking No Such Thing from 2001. Odd, odd film. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, uh, we've talked before on this show about movies that don't know what they are. Movies that have no idea what their tone is. Boy, <laughs> is this an example of that? Yeah. yeah. It was directed by Hal Hartley, who was a real sort of indie darling in the late 80s, early 90s, and I'm I'm going to guess that this movie is where the wheels came off of that train, <laughs> and you don't really hear about him anymore. He's now, he's he's doing that Red Oaks show now. I don't know if people like that or not. I haven't seen it, but... I don't know. Like, I looked over his IMDb, and none of it was anything I had ever heard of, aside from this film. No, he was, I mean, he was very indie. <laughs> like, indier yeah. than, like, indie in a way that never, that didn't go mainstream the way that, like, Tarantino did, or Kevin Smith did, or Robert Rodriguez did, you know? Yeah. That same kind of time period, but you never quite had that big break, I guess. Yeah, I I don't know what to make of this movie. <laughs> I really don't. I feel like there's, I would say there's a good movie in here somewhere, but there's probably like f- three good movies in here somewhere, and they're all competing for, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got that, that sense, too. I will say, one thing I will say is that the performances. I liked all the performances. I I thought everybody did a good job with what they had. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even follow you there. Like Robert John Burke, who plays the monster, people would know him from a lot, tons of stuff. He was in Tombstone. He was the lead in Thinner. He's been on a bunch of SVU and Oz. He was in most of Rescue Me, and he replaced Peter Weller as RoboCop in RoboCop Three. And he's been in a bunch of stuff, but. And he's under all this makeup. The makeup's pretty cool looking. Yeah, his performance is fine, I guess. Pretty good. Sarah Polly, who I usually like and is usually really good, is so fucking flat and dead in this movie. Like, there's a, it's the clip I'm going to put at the beginning of the episode, but when she walks into the newsroom and is, like, telling Ellen Mirren and, and everybody else about what happened to her fiancé, it's such a laughably bad line reading. Of just like this, just this debt. Like she's reading off a piece of paper. Like <laughs> explain. Like it's crazy. I don't know. I feel like Helen Mirren's phone, kind of phoning it in a little bit. I don't. I don't think the script helps any. But then you've got the guy playing Doctor Arno, who is a, ca- a cartoon character from a completely different fucking movie. I don't know what is going on here. <laughs> like there's the between his goofy accent 
And then there's a bit later on where he's doing some slapstick shit with a bench behind people, like in the background of a scene. Like, what? What are you doing? I can't take any of this shit seriously. <laughs> you can't. You got to figure out is it this is a comedy or, or what? Because it's not. Man, I don't know. When I talk about the performances, is or I feel like I can see what the director was going going for, and I think that everything they were told to do. I think that they were like performed the way they were directed to like i feel the director had like a certain way like quirkiness that he wanted from everybody and from every character and her polly's flat to what he wanted like that was what the character was supposed to be yeah let's just get into it i guess there's this opening monologue or is he like the first podcaster what is it <laughs> he's like it's our monster he's monologuing about his existential crisis and how he's yeah he's gotta kill everybody since they can't kill him whatever we don't know it just yet but this is equipment that he's gotten from this this news crew came for something and stumbled upon him and he killed them all and now he's recording his like manifesto and sending it off for the world to hear this guy who so desperately wants to be left alone <laughs> that he's going out of his way to draw attention to himself, I feel like. But uh, He's in Iceland in this little, or this big brock just off, like, I don't know, what is it, maybe three, four hundred feet off the coast of this little village. Village is very generous. It's two tin huts with like eight people in it. <laughs> this fucking, I got so many questions about this village, man. Yeah, one hut's just a bar. Where do these people live? <laughs> like, I know this isn't a big budget. You didn't you didn't have the money to build, like, this whole village or whatever, but, man. And also, <laughs> okay, we can fly to, like, Reykjavik. That's the closest we can get. Then there's a ways that we can drive, and then the roads stop. Then we have to get on, like, donkeys and horses and ride for a while. And then they can't go any further, and you have to do the last bit on foot. But it's a coastal village. You can't just pull up in a boat. <laughs> What's all this bullshit? Like it's Lord of the Rings. You gotta. You're not traveling to Mordor. I can literally see the ocean. Come in a boat. What are you talking about? Just so this movie can be 90 minutes long. Like <laughs> that's such a waste of time. It makes no sense. <laughs> it's a waste of her time. It's a waste of my time. <laughs> uh, and the score is like baby's first Casio. What is going on? <laughs> it's just I mean it sounds like someone turned pushed the rumba button on the, and then the boop 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 just it's the most basic shit oof yeah back in New York or Toronto or wherever the hell they are we've got Helen Mirren is here she's a satirical-ish news editor for this news network i guess and they have this scene where everybody's like she's like okay what's the news give me the news and they're like i don't the world's ending basically like everything's terrible and she's like no nah, that's all old news you know what are we going to talk about today oh some some hollywood producer bought like the entire lower east side of manhattan and is going to turn it into a movie set and she's like there, there we go that's what we're going to talk about like it's i know it is supposed to be like satirical but by 2001 standards, this feels like such tired, easy, 
satire. You know what I mean? Like, it's not cutting. It's not saying anything new whatsoever. It just feels... Ugh. And it's And it's not just, like, once that they do this joke and then move on and do other stuff. Like, the whole first, like, 20 minutes, every time... Uh, they keep doing this thing where, like, like there's a, a DJ or a news reporter or something talking, and it's all just, yeah, the world sucks. Everybody's crap. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's something about the president has, like, barricaded himself in the White House and might be about to shoot himself. Like, <laughs> that, tell me more about that. You can't, just, you can't just pepper that into your movie and then walk away. It's not going to blow up <laughs> behind you and you look cool. It's going to lay there like a dud, and I'm wondering what the, like... No, no, no. I, this isn't world building if you just throw that out there and then, you know. I mean, I, the idea is maybe, it's supposed to be maybe putting the idea in our head that the world sucks and sort of be fine if the monster killed everybody. I don't know. But the movie doesn't go that route anyway. Yeah. I have no I, idea. I think, it, I think it, it's kind of meant to back up his worldview of, you know, I want to be left alone because you, I watched you... As he talks about later, I watched you, you know, climb out of the slime and the pond and you were pathetic back then and you're still pathetic now. And, you know, why he doesn't want anything to do with humanity. Yeah, sometimes he talks like he's been here since the dawn of time, but sometimes he talks like he's, it's just been like, I don't know, a thousand years maybe. <laughs> like he's, and he like stopped, his fashion stopped at like, I don't know, he, he looks, he's dressed like Louis from Interview with the Vampire. <laughs> He's got like the waistcoat and like the pirate boots and like the frilly shirt underneath. Uh-huh. Yeah, the makeup's pretty cool. He's got the one horns broken off and he almost looks like it's petrified. He almost looks like he's made of like petrified wood or something. That, yeah, that's all pretty cool. I, will say, I do like his design. I like what they did with the his his look and his makeup and all that. It was actually pretty cool looking. But yeah, Sarah Polly, she's, uh, she's like what, like an intern or something? I don't know. I, yeah, I got that idea, but then she wants to go be the the person on this story, and they're like, okay, whatever, sure. Yeah, her fiance and his crew disappeared in Iceland, and she just found this tape of this supposed monster admitting to killing them or whatever. So she wants to be the one to go and like look into this. And they're like, yeah, I guess, <laughs> you know, we have nothing else going on. This is the president's going to kill himself, but we let's go talk about this other thing. And then, and again, I know this is a budgetary thing, but the it's such a <laughs> baffling decision and such a, like, whip, I don't know. She, she's like, okay, I'm going to fly. You see a plane taking off, like stock footage of a plane taking off. You never see her in the plane. You never see anything. And we cut from the plane taking off to Helen Mirren and the other people sitting in the office. And they're like, oh my god, the plane crashed. Oh, which plane? Not the plane she was on. No, she transferred. It is that plane. Her plane crashed. Whoa, hold on. (laughs) That's a hell of a way to give us that information. Like, I understand you didn't have the budget to to mock up the inside of a plane cabin and it's shaking around and people are scared and the masks are coming down or but just to go from everything's cool the plane is taking off to (laughs) just it's such a nonchalant way to deliver that information to us it's crazy yeah it's an odd odd choice to edit that out of the film 
when just moments before that there is a there's a scene where she like gets mugged by this drug addict in the airport bathroom and the girl like steals her bag and then she just goes and finds the girl tweaking out in the the lobby area and just takes her bag back so the scene does nothing aside from just reinforce the oh aren't people shitty yeah, I'm thinking maybe that girl's going to show up again at some point. No, it's just more of like, yeah, to kind of reinforce his nihilistic. That wasn't the word I was looking for, but I can't. It's fled my mind at the moment. <laughs> what is it where you hate people? I just used the word the other day. God dang it. Anyway, I'll probably remember it like 20 minutes from now. <laughs> but yeah, Sarah Polly's our main character, Beatrice. She's, I mean, you know her. She's all the way back to Baron Munchausen when she's a little kid. She's been in stuff. And then she's in Go and the Dawn of the Dead remake and Splice. And then she actually left acting in like 2010 to become a writer-director. And she's done pretty well with that. She did, she wrote and directed Take This Waltz and The Stories We Tell and that Alias Grace show on Netflix. So, yeah, and she's usually, I, I find, really good. But, yeah, in this she's just sleepwalking man i don't know for a lot of, i mean she has moments but this beginning part especially and i think it's because she's supposed to be like this bright-eyed bushy tail you know innocent like who maybe doesn't even belong in the big city like she just you know but yeah i think later on somebody even actually uses the word ingenue to describe her right but that's but that's when and then it doesn't make any sense to me when suddenly she's just banging random dudes and, like, dressing like a dominatrix. Like, what the fuck is happening in this movie? I don't, this movie doesn't make... Ugh. But anyway, so here's where the... What should be an entirely different movie begins. Because Helen Mirren and the rest of the crew like, oh, shit. She's... Holy shit. She beat to survive. She's the sole survivor of this plane. And some of them are like, well, we should go and take care of her since we sent her there. And Helen Mirren's whole thing is, this is the story now. The sole survivor of this flight is our person. We have unfettered access to her. So they travel to Iceland to see her at the hospital. She's all fucked up. Like, her, uh, probably every bone in her body's broken or something. But there's 25 minutes of this movie now, which is either way too long to be away from this monster and that whole plot, or way too short, because it should have been... Whole not- There's an interesting movie here about a woman who's the sole survivor of a plane crash, and maybe she's going to be a celebrity because of it, but she has to rebuild, you know, go through this insane surgery that they're doing where they can't use anesthetic sometimes. I, never, I didn't understand the explanation for that shit at all, but... <laughs> she has to go through this torturous operation to get her body to where she can move and walk again. That's a whole different movie, man, and it does not belong in the middle of this one. Because it doesn't... What is it, what does it add to her character going forward? How does it change her perspective of this monster? Or any, it doesn't. The character that she is when she gets on that plane to go to Iceland and the character she is when she meets the monster in Iceland is the same person who has not changed at all by going through this insane event. Why is this even in this movie? I don't know. I don't know. It's a di- That's a different movie. I feel like Hal Hartley wanted to do... A movie about that, but could never break it, make it long enough, so he just stuck it into this one for some reason. I don't know. It it adds nothing to this movie. It doesn't play into the themes of the movie. It doesn't... What is any... It's 25 minutes of this movie that for nothing. Yeah, I think really it, the only thing it does, and they, they could have made it 
done this whole thing in like five minutes is it just it reinforces uh what a just in it for herself just wanting to sensationalize everything character helen mirren is because she flies all the way over there to be at beatrice's side but then when she tells her i you know i want to make you this story because of what's happened to you and she refuses she's just like oh well screw it then you're on your own and leaves yeah but we're going to get that from her again anyway once the monster comes to america and her whole thing is like i don't care what the government does to him or what people like this is the story you know so we're going to get that anyway so i don't yeah. this whole plane crash subplot is just so weird to me and just i don't know it does not yeah you could you could have her get on the plane land in iceland and meet the monster and not change the movie at all would not change it at all except it would be shorter <laughs> but i don't even and that's the thing i don't even mind the the stuff with her in the hospital and the stuff like that's when her performance is good i guess that's where she meets julie christie who's her nurse who kind of follows her around the rest of the movie but she doesn't really add anything else that that character being there doesn't really add anything to the plot either so like make that movie i'd watch that movie i'm interested in that movie but it should be a separate movie it does not belong in here in this movie where five minutes ago you were making stupid attempts at jokes about you know news networks and what they cover and you know like figure out your tone figure out what story you're telling and tell it but you're telling you're telling three different stories here and i don't it's not working for me yeah we had the six months later she's walking around again she can get by on just one crutch which she only needs for what appears to be a day or two and then she's just fine without it but I do like the shot of when they're sitting, she's, her and Julie Christie are sitting, they're on their way out to the village in Iceland, and they're sitting in the diner having a conversation, and she gets up to leave, and we don't notice at first, but the shot lingers through the window at them leaving, but her crutch, she left her crutch behind. That was kind of a cool shot. But... Yeah, I did like that. But again, it adds nothing, because once she leaves that crutch behind... She's just walk. She's walking over big rocks, and she's walking from like no. You still have like some rehabilitate rehabilitation to do. You needed a crutch two days ago. You're gonna get tired easily. She's out in front of the car, like guiding. Julie Christie's driving the car through this rock field, and she's the one out walking to like guide her through these rocks. No, that should be the other way around. You just got out of the hospital. Why are you the one walking around? Again, her being in the hospital for six months means nothing. It means nothing. There, it's never even mentioned again. Um, there's not. There's never even a conversation between like her and the monster of like, oh, I know how you feel. I feel like a freak because I was in a hospital bed for six. Nothing. It's never brought up again. So why is it here? <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, I mean that you bring up a good point. If they had like, if she had been like horribly scarred. In the, mm-hmm. in the plane crash, or because of degrees or something, and that helped her connect with the monster, and that was like a plot point. That would mean something, but they don't even do that. Or even had a limp for fuck's sake. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> she is unchanged from when she got on that plane. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't get it. Unless it's, and it's not even like, it also could have been a plot thing of like, Oh, because she was delayed by six months, something happened with the monster? Like, he killed a bunch more people, or... But nope, that's not it either. (laughs) The delay of six months affects nothing. So, 
I don't know. <laughs> it's it's hard to get my head around what what the idea was here. But yeah, she finally. I, I'm telling you, you could have got there by boat in like three days, but whatever. She finally gets after <laughs> after jeeps and horses and walking. Finally arrives all alone, and the well, her guide when they're on horseback gives her a gun, which she's just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> Seems unfazed by. Seems like someone who's never held a gun before in her life, but does not comment on it. And then he's like, well, this is as far as I go. You're on your own now. I'm not going to this crazy village. The only people who live there are people who only live there because they have to. These eight people, for, for what? Why do they have to live here? What is their... We don't see them fishing. We don't see them... Like, what What do they do? Why must they live there? Why can they not move away from these two tin shacks? I don't know. <laughs> it's wild. I don't know. It, like, if it's so impossible to get to... Like, where do they get their liquor? Like, are they brewing it in their toilets? What if they have a whole bar? <laughs> where are they getting their supplies and shit? Or it would be something if you, if it was like, these people have dedicated themselves, like, they're the last line of defense between us and this monster who lives on this rock. And we're here in case he comes to shore. He'll probably tear us apart, but we're going to slow him down, you know? But it's not that at all. They're just like... Because he, he comes up and just visits them sometimes, and like, <laughs> not visits, but like when he comes, to, he's like, go deliver this tape for me, and he lifts their bar up and breathes fire at them, but he doesn't actually hurt any of them. He breaks that old lady's cane, which is kind of funny. <laughs> just out of pure misanthropy, that's the word I was looking for. He's a misanthrope, he hates people. I knew I'd remember it. Yeah, did actually like that part where he... he's walking past the old lady, he just stops and grabs her cane and breaks it and goes, fuck you, and walks yeah, and she starts yelling at him. He goes, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, he's like a foul-mouthed, like... Yeah, but for this guy who's been isolated for how long... Like, he doesn't have, like, an old accent or... Like, he speaks, like, totally... He's kept up to date on language pretty well. I don't know. Though he does break into these real broke monologues sometimes. But whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it's not that either. It's not that they're, like... What is the reason these people are there? Yeah. <laughs> that they have to be there. Yeah, and how are they getting their booze and their... Like, they, they literally live on rocks. Like, it's a rocky cliff face that they live on. Like, there's no vegetation. There's no... How are these... How are they subsisting? They must be fishing, I guess, but then they must have boats, right? You can get here by boat, is what I'm saying. You don't... <laughs> none of it makes any goddamn sense. You know that they have one little, like... Not inflatable, but one of those blown-up dingy boats and that's that's it that's all you ever see is they use that a couple of times it's not like they have a giant dock with like fishing ships and stuff or give us some give us some kind of backstory of like there used to be a thriving somehow on this rocky beach there used to be a thriving village here and the monster destroyed most of it and these are the only people who are left and they refuse to leave out of stubbornness but it's not like there's a breeding population here it's like an old couple two younger guys and then like a teenage girl and that's it <laughs> there's like seven people and the old lady they're not you know they're not growing <laughs> once these people die what then what i don't know is this teenage girl gonna just live here by herself <laughs> when all these adults die i don't i don't it's weird but sarah Polly or beatrice arrives there and they you know yeah they're trying to tell her about the monster and warn her about the monster they tell a story about <laughs> this is another detail that is not thought out at all. 
They say that the U.S. military at one point wanted to put missiles on the rock, out on the rock in the ocean that the monster lives on, and he killed the soldiers who came there. End of story. I don't think so. <laughs> if the U.S. military sends a platoon of guys somewhere and those guys get slaughtered mysteriously, they send more guys. They don't just go, well, I guess we won't go there again. Bullshit. You're going to send a fucking aircraft carrier there to figure out what the fuck happened to Staff Sergeant Joe and the rest of the guys. Like, are you kidding me? They're not going to let that go. And and clearly that's not the case anyway, because where the monster lives is like a big military facility with like catwalks and, and boilers and shit. It's not like he built that. So clearly they were there for a while, at least. They built a whole compound in this rock. Okay, so maybe I misunderstood what you're saying. Maybe it was a it was a military place they were going to put missiles there, and he went in and wiped the guys out and took the place over. But that even more that, so, the military doesn't just like, well, our base disappeared. That's fucked up. Oh, you know? <laughs> Bullshit! <laughs> you're going to go find out what happened. You're not going to stop sending guys there until you've killed this thing, or you're just going to blow that base up. Because you're not going to leave it there for enemies to have. If we can't have it, nobody will. You're going to nuke that thing from orbit. Like, there's no way that they just let that slide. It's insane. That's an insane detail. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of insane things on this movie. And yet, not in an exciting way. <laughs> but they get, these villagers get Beatrice nice and drunk. And you think they're just being, like, nice and friendly or whatever. But no. Then she passes out. And the next thing you see, they are carrying her out. They have, no thank you, they have taken her clothes. <laughs> they have stripped her naked, which they've wrapped her up in like a big sheet. But like these strangers, these strange, presumably the man, like just stripped this girl of her clothes. Not cool. And they put her in this dinghy along with a couple bottles of hooch. <laughs> and just take them out as like sacrifice to appease the, like every once in a while they just stumble upon I don't know, a hiker or something who found their way there and just, Liquor them up and give them to the monster in hopes that he'll leave them. Just move. Move. Why are you doing this? Why are you living on this craggy bullshit beach with no signs of life but yourselves and this monster that you have to, like, sacrifice people to and get, just go. Just leave. Iceland's a big, beautiful yeah. place. You can live anywhere. You don't have to go live in the big city, Reykjavik. There's lots of little places you can... I don't get it. Hey, go live in the city for rent a car. I mean... Something. <laughs> And that whole thing raises uh, more questions for me that I, I don't think I even want answered. But like, because he says something about, yeah, every once in a while, they just they drop off some random piece of ass for me, like a like a sacrifice. And I'm like, what happened to these women? Well, they're in that. I'm Did, sure they're in that pile of bones that's outside. Well, because, I mean, he doesn't seem like when she shows up, he doesn't seem to have any interest. Like, he's like, why don't you just leave? Like, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to rape her. He doesn't want to kill her. So did he change his mind after all these other girls, or did he just send them away too? I don't, I don't know. Well, presume, I'm assuming he just killed them because he doesn't seem to eat people necessarily, right? Well, maybe he does because those bones are pretty stripped bare. But because how long ago did Jim? <laughs> it couldn't have been that long that Jim disappeared and that his bones are just completely stripped. So maybe he does eat people. I don't know. They don't really say, but. Well, he in his opening monologue, he does say something about he just he just ripped them to pieces and threw them off the cliff. So I don't think I don't think he ate them, but 
fucked up. So presumably he just killed. But this, but whatever this last girl they dropped off was probably was just sitting there screaming the whole time, and it annoyed him, so he tore her head off. Like you know. But no, he doesn't seem interested in them in a sexual manner, because he hates people. He looks at people as like a different, like disgusting species that he can't stand. It would be like you know, like if you dropped a a lobster off and be like here this is for you to fuck i'd be like what no thank you <laughs> i'm gonna tear the claws off and eat it there's good meat in here but that's the end of the story like no <laughs> you know he sees them as such a lesser lesser beings it's beneath him to even think about that but but she is so special somehow that he decide he some bullshit line about like well, you made it here so i guess you're better than the rest what do you mean she didn't. She got here the exact same way the last girl got here. She found her way to that village, and they drunked her up and dropped her off at your doorstep. That doesn't. She's not special at all. Other than well, she's not scared of him for some reason. Maybe is that maybe the purpose of the whole? She went through this agonizing six months operation and rehabilitation so that when she meets this monster, she's like, "Eh, I've seen worse." Because if that's the case, what a waste of time. Especially if you don't say that. You don't, you know, she doesn't say that that's the reason she's not scared of him. She's just not scared of him. Okay, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Uh, I'm really bitching about this movie, and I don't, I don't even think the movie is terrible. Like I said, there's something here, but there's also, there's all these, there's so much about it that's like, wow, what a missed, at least a missed opportunity for what could have been something really cool. But yeah, she wants to know about Jim... He goes out to this bone pile and finds Jim's shoe and shows it to her. And she gets all upset. That's when she pulls out the gun that the guide guy gave her. And he's chasing her around, trying to scare her or whatever. Now she's actually scared, I guess. And she shoots him. It doesn't do anything. He takes the gun from her and shoots himself in the head. So bullets are ineffective. And then for what is, but I think like the third or fourth time in this movie, he steps outside to have himself a little scream. He does this a lot. Where he'll just go outside, like, what, you don't want her to see you? <laughs> I don't know, but he goes outside and shuts the door and like kneels down in the rain and like, ah, and just screams at the heavens. Like, he does it a lot in this movie. But he comes back in. Yeah, he has this whole thing about he gets... This is something I'd like to explore more, too, and we don't. It's just kind of a throwaway line that the more his condition or these fits that he has, which I don't know that we ever see, that are only dulled by alcohol. That's why he's an alcoholic. <laughs> but I guess these painful fits and voices he hears, whatever, get worse as the Earth's population of human beings grows. So it's been getting worse and worse all the time, and he can't take it anymore. So it's either... And he can't die. So either something needs to kill me, or I'm going to go and kill everyone on the planet first off good luck but like i don't that's a cool idea almost like superman can hear everyone on earth and like he had to learn to drown it out you know like that idea explore that more don't just throw that information away that that's why he hates everyone i don't know but he wants her help because at one point was it in this base was where dr ono ardon was working on his experiments <laughs> He never really surprised. He just, you know, there was this man I knew who was a scientist. He was a friend of mine that was working on a way to kill me, but then they locked him up because they thought he was crazy. Which, again, what is the world that this is taking place in? Because when they come, when the, when the authorities 
came and Dr. No's like, no, I'm building like a doomsday device to destroy this monster. And they're like, okay, cuckoo bird, we're taking you away. Why wasn't he like, no, this monster right here. Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He was just like, all right, I guess, I guess I'll just go to the nuthatch, I guess, because I, I don't know. Who knows? There's a lot of unexplained information given to us, but... So yeah, I want you to go find this Dr. Renault for me. I think you can do it since you found your way here. Which, again, she's not the first one to do that, but whatever. And at this point, you're still kind of... Is this like a Beauty and the Beast thing where like, oh, she's going to fall in love with him, or then, you know, they're going to fall in love with each other. He's going to learn that people aren't all bad. She's going to learn uh, what, who knows what. No, that's ne that never comes up. That never is even... So it's not that. No, she, at most, you know, they become friends, kind of, and so she feels for him and has sympathy for him. That's about as far as it goes. Yeah, so you, you go find this Arno guy and bring him back here so that he can destroy me and then I don't have to kill everyone. And she agrees, but only if he will come with her out in the world and not kill anyone. Which... <laughs> seems like she is doing more for his benefit than for hers. Like, at some point in the last five minutes, after being scared of him and shooting him, she's decided that, like, oh, I do need to help him, and I need to help him be a better person. <laughs> I don't know. It's odd. But, so, she arranges for, I don't know, there's a lot of whatever downtime, but everybody, Julie Christie and Helen Mirren and everybody come back with, with her, get the monster, and they go, or they meet them inside, I don't even remember. They wind up back in New York, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did they? Did he get on a plane and fly to New York? <laughs> yeah, because they, they do... I mean, again, they don't show that, but they show them arriving at the airport, and, like, there's press and everything there with cameras and microphones in their faces and stuff. See, and here, again, is where I don't understand the storytelling decisions in this movie. Because you've already set up this whole thing where she should have been a celebrity by being the sole survivor of this plane crash, right? And making this miraculous recovery. That's what Helen Mirren wanted. She, that's, not, that's what she didn't want. And when she leaves the hospital, there's people outside who are like well-wishers and, you know, who are like touching her. and like. But there's no reporters, there's no nothing. So you already had an opportunity in the story to make her a celebrity for a thing and you didn't do it. Now she becomes like this overnight celebrity by being adjacent to the monster. Like the monster's not the celebrity. <laughs> She's the celebrity for like, I went and found him and brought him out here. It's so weird. And overnight, her character changes instantly. Yeah. By becoming a celebrity, she starts dressing very differently. <laughs> And she's like partying it up and sleeping with random dudes. Boy, you got over gym fast. Which I mean, may, maybe, the, look, and I'm no, no shaming, no, you know, maybe this is part of your grief, you know, whatever. But the movie, it's set up, the movie is presenting it to us as if we should be like, oh, that's not the right thing to do. Because she's made to feel bad about it because she'd left the monster all alone in his hotel room to like, just have to listen to people partying next door while she was having sex with this dude. So it's presented to us as if it's like, Oh, she shouldn't have done that. That's a shitty thing to do. But, like, well, which is it? <laughs> is it, you know? Yeah. 
Because her, her entire motivation at the first part of the movie was to find out what happened to her fiancé because she loved him so much. And the second she and finds then, out he's dead, she's like, well... <laughs> three days later, yeah. she's banging it out with some dude at the... Which, hey, that's fine. But then don't present it to me as like, it's bad that she did that. It wasn't nice to the monster that she did that. It's not like the monster's jealous. He just didn't want to have to hear it. <laughs> or to yeah. be left alone. You know, like, it's so confused in itself of what... It's presenting and it's not like this is a new love interest for her that's going to complicate things but nope you'll never see this guy again don't worry about it <laughs> it's just such odd odd decisions i don't know yeah there's a lot of my notes are almost at the end the movie isn't but that's because there's a whole lot of there's a lot of time spent kicking around this hotel conversations between her and the monster that you know are kind of the same thing we've already heard before not a whole lot happens until he up and leaves one day and just goes for whatever reason just goes out on his own was there a reason that he <laughs> well no she um the doctor Artaud or however you say his name shows up and the first person to see him is helen mirren and she's like she talks to him for a second and then she turns to her assistants and stuff and she's like uh get rid of him don't let him see the monster because the monster's the story right now, and I want to ride that as long as we can. So I don't want this doctor helping him. So they they take Arto and like lock him in a hotel room, and they take the monster and start experimenting on him. Like they give him to the government. Oh, yeah, they're doing they, experiments on like him. torturing him just to see for sure if he is indestructible, and he is. So they're just doing mean shit to him for no reason, and. Finally, they're like, they're like, well, let's release him into the public and see what happens. That's what it was. And the one lady, the I forget her name, but she's kind of friends, a coworker of Beatrice, is like, well, he's he promised not to kill anybody, and she's like, well, we'll see, you know. And so Beatrice, while this is all going on, Beatrice runs into Arto in the bar of the hotel because he he like insulted the maid and so she let him out yeah <laughs> but she doesn't she doesn't know who it is and and he spends the entire film drunk he is plastered at all times and that informs his character to the point where he's just yeah like you said he's a cartoon character he's just like he can't like walk without touching a wall or touching a person he's leaning at all times <laughs> Yeah, he's got this wacky accent and these wacky glasses that make his eyes look cute, you know, like those big thick ones. His glasses look cute, naturally. Like, he's just, yeah, he is a buffoonish character from, a, a, again, a completely different movie that now the plot completely hinges on. <laughs> but again, how is, he should have been captured by the government and experimented on and tortured decades ago if he took over this military base they should have, you know? Anyway, but yeah, so he's just out in the city and he is keeping his promise to her not to kill anyone despite, yeah, he gets like cornered in this alley by a bunch of bros who beat him up and like, and piss on, literally piss on him. We get to watch a guy piss on him. <laughs> it's like a bit over the top. Don't people suck? Aren't humans complete trash? And... And so, yeah, Sarah or Beatrice has to show up and rescue him because he, like you said, he's keeping his promise. He's just laying there taking it. But so also, she pulls up in a truck with a... Hold on. 
guys? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's the two guys from the beginning. Also, I've totally forgot to mention, there's a crazy scene at the beginning where there's terrorists at the airport who get gunned down, and she just as she's walking through the airport. Do you remember that? Right, right. Yeah. Like right before she meets the junkie lady in the bathroom. There's like these terror. There's like these terrorists or something. And this is like a pre nine eleven. It came out in two thousand one, but it must have been filmed. So this was like a pre nine eleven thing. But there's these terrorists who are like nervous to go through the security checkpoint or whatever, and then they like pull out their guns and they're running through and they get shot down by. And there's no reaction. Like, why is that in this movie? <laughs> that's a whole again. That's a scene from a different movie, man. Yeah, the way it was put in there, it almost felt like. It's like supposed to be funny. Airplane, like yeah, like when they're you know trying to make their way through the airport, the higher Krishnas are there and all that stuff. It felt like something like that. Yeah, like it's a comedy beat. I don't get it. <laughs> but there's guys who gave her a ride. She mentions is these two guys who they're like teamsters or whatever, and they're not scared of terrorists or, or whatever. And they had a pickup truck and they drove her. Yeah. From the airport That's who they to were. wherever. Or to the airport. She couldn't find a taxi, so they drove her to the airport. Yeah. Because there's a taxi shortage or something. Again, this weird world-building little details that, like, <laughs> it doesn't add up to anything. But it's those two guys who she pulls up with, and they jump out of the truck with baseball bats and chase these guys off of the monster. But, <laughs> so, so Sarah Polly's sitting at the hotel, and in a scene we don't see, learns, oh no, my friend the monster has been released into the city. He's probably going to kill people. I needed to go find him. So she calls <laughs> these two guys, <laughs> apparently numbers she still has. They drop what they're doing, come to the hotel, pick her up, and then they drive around Manhattan until they stumble upon the correct alley where this mo- Give me a fucking break. What? <laughs> Impossible. It's like any like rom com or any movie where like, like you don't just you don't just happen to run into people in New York. <laughs> There's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's ludicrous that they just go and find him. Impossible. Anyway. So, see, so yeah, her coworker Margaret is her coworker's name. Yeah, whose uh, face I recognize from something, but looking through her IMDb, I could not find whatever what it was that I would know her from. But she has her, she looks really familiar to me, but I don't know why. But she has somehow arranged for a boat. She's uh, she's like I've I've got this ship. You go, you get the monster, and they will take you back to where he came from, so he can be safe. And so. So yeah, so they head to the docks and get on this boat. And I guess they sent Arto on ahead mm-hmm. on another boat or something. He's not with them, but he's on the island when they show up. So they must have sent him on ahead and just didn't tell us. I don't know. But again, and goodbye Helen Mirren from this movie. But how, you're telling me Helen Mirren had enough clout that she could tell these scientists... Like, was it, the, was it the U.S. military or the U.S. government? Or was it just scientists she, like contacted and hired because she shouldn't have the it is the government she shouldn't then why how does she have the authority to just walk into the room and go i have an idea we're gonna let this monster loose and they're like cool thanks helen mirren (laughs) what they don't take orders from you she she 100 does though because she yeah there's scenes of her with like the lead scientist and she is telling him what to do 
She runs like a news network. Yeah. What the? <laughs> and a shitty one too. <laughs> like, uh, like tabloid news network. It's so bananas. But it did, but also but then you, how are you not keeping better track of Arnaud too? Like that he can just slip away and whatever. <laughs> These seems like very important people to not lose track of. But yeah, before they go, Arnaud has this whole slapsticky thing where he's like sliding on this couch and like behind them. It's so goof. Like what fuck? This is like from a Pink Panther movie. This doesn't belong here, man. Yes. When two minutes ago we were watching this monster get literally pissed on by Tufts in an alley and beaten up and the dramatic music swells and like, I mean, you can have comedy in your drama, but there's a, th- that's a comedy movie and a drama movie that you've slapped together. Reminds me a lot of Shaded Places. <laughs> a lot less rapey than that movie, but, you know, of just comedy where it does not belong. Yeah, they take him back and and they're just ready to go. Arnaud just had this shit just sitting around this whole time? I guess. It was, well, he was interrupted and dragged away. But is this in the monster's home base? Or is this yeah, some other lab somewhere? So this equipment was uh, there the whole time? I guess. Or he put it together in like three hours. That's what I'm saying. Either it was there the whole time, in which case you're, the monster couldn't have figured out how to make it work or bring somebody else in to make it work. He needed Dr. Arnaud. And also how... So the government or whoever came and took Arno away and he's standing next to this fucking doomsday device and they didn't think to take it apart and take it with them and put it back, like investigate that at all? They just left it there? <laughs> what are you talking about? But it's, yeah, he has figured out how to completely take matter apart. And so that's how the, the indestructible monster will finally be destroyed, like atom by atom. It's just going to disintegrate him. And he... Goes in to do that, and the movie ends with the close-up of Sarah Polly watching. We don't see it happen, obviously, because there's no special effects budget whatsoever. But it's just a close-up of Sarah Polly watching it happen, and the lights just on her face, and she's crying, and and then roll credits. That's it. And we've learned what? <laughs> what did we learn? Uh, and there's like after putting him in the machine and getting ready to fire it up and stuff, like the government SWAT agents or whatever are storming the island very very quietly like they pull up in little boats and they come in like very quietly and they come into the room where they're they've got all the like switches and stuff but they see he's already in the machine and they just they just stop they're not like okay turn it off you know anything they don't point guns at anyone they just stop and stand there like oh well all right I guess we came all this way for nothing they just stand there and watch it happen like there's no there's no conversation at all. They just walk into the room and just stop and stand and watch. <laughs> yeah, but how how did you find out where they were? <laughs> Who told you where they were? <laughs> Who told you where the monster lived? And if you knew where the monster lived, why is this the first time you're visiting? Like I said. Also, everyone seems to be getting here by boat really easily. In the last ten minutes of this movie, a whole shit ton of people just got here by boat. So why did I waste 20 minutes of this movie watching her walk here? <laughs> Stupid. I'm assuming they, they the soldiers got there because Helen Mirren told them. Because there's a scene we didn't talk about where they come and arrest her for botching the whole thing. And yeah. like they're like, should we, you know, should we send somebody 
the her assistants and stuff are like, should we send somebody after Beatrice? And she's like, no, this is the story now. The 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 media being persecuted. So I'm I'm the story now. Forget about all that. We don't we don't need them. This is the story now. <laughs> but then here's my question. What what was her crime? What was her crime? I don't know. What did she do? She didn't kidnap anyone. If anyone should be in trouble, it's the government slash military guys who just listened to this woman when she came in the room and gave them orders she had no business giving them. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're the ones who fucked up. What is she being arrested for? I don't understand. Whatever. Okay. And there was there was one other scene I did want to talk about. Okay. Kind of. Sure. Just because it was the one moment in the movie that I actually thought was like kind of cute and like almost touching, where they're they're on the boat going back to Iceland, her and the monster, and he's getting drunk and he's like being you know his model himself. And he's, he says, he's like looking out the window and he says something about nobody's scared of me anymore. And like, she comes up behind him and like hugs him from behind and puts his head on her, her head on his shoulder. She's like, I'm scared of you. <laughs> Except she's not. <laughs> his she's whole reason, her whole reason for being involved in this is that he will like that she was not scared of him. But yeah, that's true. There's also a bit on the boat where she's trying to sleep under a blanket and one of the boat crew guys is, like, about to come mess with her. That <laughs> yeah, also leads like, to, comes to nothing. It's just another example of, like, don't people suck, I guess. Yeah. That this guy was considering assaulting her as she was, I don't know. But I don't need that. Like, you've gotten your point across, man. All you've done the whole movie talking about how people suck. I didn't need <laughs> one more anyway. And that's no such thing. A very strange movie. <laughs> Not not strange in its content. Not you know. I mean, there's weirder movies, but just such odd decision making in the storytelling. <laughs> like the scripts is just a fucking mess. And there's yeah, there's a couple good movies in here. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're in the same movie and it doesn't work. Yeah, if it wasn't so buried under, like you say, the the nihilistic, misanthropic. You know, doesn't the world suck? Aren't people trash the entire time? There might have been yeah, a good movie in there somewhere, but it's just constantly beating you over the head with, you know, the monster's a civilized one, and we're all just, we're we're trash, you know? No, and it, and it could be that. But then it can't also be the triumphant story of the girl who survived the plane crash and recovered, you know? For 20 minutes. And yeah. it can't be this slapsticky bullshit with the with Mr. Magoo running around in a hotel. <laughs> there was some other slapsticky thing where, like, two of the, like, federal agents or whatever who were on guard got... I don't remember exactly what it was. I forgot to write it down. But get distracted by something and are doing some goofy yeah. slapsticky shit. Like, it's just, like, that's a different movie. Her plane crash thing's a different movie. The monster's a different movie. Like, figure out what story you're telling and tell it. Instead of trying to tell me three three stories at once, it's not. It just doesn't work. It does not work at all, and it's too bad because yeah, there are some. I mean, like I said, I think some of the performances are not great, but there's moments that are okay. There's moments that are good, and you can see that like okay, this is probably a good filmmaker, but yeah, this is. It's not even terrible. It's just. Oh, yeah. It feels like a real wasted opportunity because, like I said, yeah, there's a couple of good movies in here, but they're competing with each other and ruining each other. 
So, because I, I, I remember when you told me we were doing this movie, I was actually kind of excited about it because I remember seeing the trailer for this when it came out and being like, "Wow, that looks interesting. That looks like a pretty good movie." And it was, it did not turn out to be the movie that I thought it was way back then. No, it's not. Whereas I had never heard of this at all. <laughs> but that's the beauty of this show. Sometimes you find things that you. It's, sho- it's we, shocking that you haven't seen because 2001 that was like the height of my like indies I'm an indie cinema guy like it's actually crazy that I've never seen a Hal Hartley movie until now <laughs> but they probably weren't readily available I mean we never lived anywhere that was showing that kind of stuff in the theaters and it would probably be easy to miss at the video store so yeah but the problem with this movie is as this is the first Hal Hartley movie I've seen, does this encourage or discourage me from watching more Hal Hartley movies? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> there's enough here that makes me think, okay, he probably has good movies in him. But there's also enough here that I go, this guy doesn't know how to make write a fucking script, man. This script is garbage. So what do I do? Do I watch more Hal Hartley movies or not? <laughs> we'll see. I might... Yeah, and that's the end of that. It is that time of the episode where I press the magic button to see what next week's movie, chosen completely at random from everything streaming, will be. Pressing the magic button right now. Next week's movie is Roll Thunder Roll! Exclamation point from 1949. It is a western. Oh, excuse me, Red Rider in Roll Thunder Roll. Uh, it is an hour long. <laughs> Does that is that even a movie? Does that count? I guess it counts. It is on Tubi. Have we? I haven't done a western before, have I? Not a real deal western. There was like some sci-fi movies pretending to be westerns, but right. No, no, I don't think you have. All right, so Roll Thunder Roll on Tubi from 1949. I mean, at an hour long, even if it's terrible, it'll fly by. Hopefully, so that's not bad. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I'm betting. Uh, Bet it hasn't aged well, <laughs> as most uh, old westerns have not. I'm betting it's got some real interesting ideas about Native Americans. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> anyway, Roll Thunder Roll from 1949 on Tubi. That's everyone's homework for next week. Should you choose to accept it, sir? Welcome back. Yeah, I um, I was excited to be back. I uh, I'm actually on my break from work right now, sitting in my car doing this. And I'm going to, in honor of the fact that I was recording a podcast today, I'm going to spend the rest of my break uh, watching Run with Josiah uh, David Warren. What? So, Where did you even find that? <laughs> dollar Tree. It cost me a dollar. <laughs> boy, oh boy. <laughs> All right, well, let me know how that goes. <laughs> You're d- taking another headfirst dive into the Josiah David Warren cinematic universe and I, I applaud your well, bravery. Hey, not only Josiah David Warren but Stephen Baldwin and Stephen is Baldwin. in it. Who's the girl? So, I've never heard of her. Uh, Taylor Murphy. Okay. <laughs> Alright, good luck with that. I'm not going to bother with the socials this episode. Chris has been on countless episodes of this show. If you want to know where to find him, go listen to one of those. Same with me. <laughs> We got stuff to do. I don't have time for this. Uh, <laughs> that's the show for this week. Thank you, sir. Thank you, everyone listening. We will you. see you next week for Roll Thunder Roll. Goodbye.